Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 36, Opening Doors Without a Key. And the following is a sermon that I preached April 28th of this year on the passage of John 20, 19 through 31. And I've decided to insert it here because of its incredibly close connection with Jesus' words in Luke 4 of setting the captives free, as well as its connection between the forgiveness of sins and what it actually means to proclaim forgiveness of sins to the captives, and why the Holy Spirit given to the followers of Jesus is so important for being able to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to those captives. And so in this particular passage in John 20, Jesus is meeting his disciples while they are locked away in an upper room for fear of the Jews in the days immediately following Jesus's death. And we're going to look closely at what relevance it has for Jesus to meet them in this upper room, being able to open doors without a key and what that tells us about our role as his followers but also the very, very close connection that we find between Jesus's role in setting the captives free and what he is going to empower his people to do through the Holy Spirit also in setting the captives free. And so this is a really fitting transition as we begin to see our close connection with Jesus as followers of Christ and what that means for the church. And so I hope that this sermon is helpful for you to piece together a few of these parts, and then we'll continue right on through the podcast. So here we go. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Father, we ask you to come powerfully by your Spirit into this place to give us ears to hear you, 
hearts that are open and receptive to the teaching of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this past week, right after our Easter lunch from last Sunday, we drove down to Atlantic Beach to meet Jessica's parents who were there renting a beach house for the week. We left our kids there, came back. Jessica and I worked for a couple of days this week and then Wednesday evening went and spent the rest of the time with them and we came back yesterday late morning. And as we were returning from Atlantic Beach, the first thing I always do when I come back from a trip is I pull up to my mailbox and I get whatever huge amounts of mail are left waiting for me because I never remember to have my mail put on hold while I'm out of town. And as a natural habit, I always glance to the front porch of my house um, just in case a package has been delivered, maybe it got rained on, you know, I just never know what's going on. And when I did, I noticed that our front door was wide open. For how long, I have no idea. I left my house at 4.30 on Wednesday and got back at noon on Saturday. So after parking the van in the garage, I went to investigate, and sure enough, the door was locked just like I remembered, and yet it was wide open. So maybe it wasn't properly latched, and the wind blew it open. Did someone open it? That's what my boys went to investigate and went walking through the house saying, hello, is anyone here? (laughs) Um, Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. How long has it been open? We'll never know. All I know is that when you close and lock your front door, it's because you want to keep safe everything that is inside and you want to keep everything else outside. And you assume that your closed and locked door will remain closed and locked until you choose to unlock and open it. This is just the way things are. And most of us don't give it a second thought. The disciples didn't give it a second thought either. Jesus had just been murdered a few days before. And the very Jews responsible for his death knew about the disciples' association with Jesus, and they were understandably afraid. So they huddled together in a room and locked the doors. They wanted to keep safe everything that was inside themselves and keep everything else outside the Jews can you blame them they were trying desperately to shield themselves from everything they thought posed a threat to their safety and then something strange happens when you read John's version of it which is the version I just read you might actually miss the significance of what's happening because he tells us the details so nonchalantly On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now remember, locked doors typically remain locked until you choose to unlock them. And therefore, whatever is outside those doors remains outside, but not here. No, here... The doors remain locked, and yet Jesus comes right in. We're not given any specifics. How he did it? Was it a Houdini-style escape trick? We have no idea. Just that the disciples were inside a locked room, protected from everything not in the room, and Jesus just comes in and stands in their midst saying, Peace be with you. 
No fanfare, no introduction, not even an invitation. He simply greets them with his peace, which is the one thing they were desperately in need of. In fact, throughout this short narrative of just 12 verses, Jesus says, peace be with you three times. And twice we are told that the doors were locked, but that Jesus simply came in and stood among the disciples. Now, as is the case with most of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, when people see Jesus, they think they are seeing a ghost. In fact, in other instances, this is actually said out loud. They see someone walking on the water. They assume it's a ghost. They're freaked out. Even in our day's media-driven worldview, people could imagine a ghost coming through a locked door. But Jesus allows Thomas to put his finger into his hand and to touch his side, which tells me that the focus of this entire scene draws attention to the physical and the material part of Jesus, not what is immaterial and therefore ghost-like. So we're not dealing with a ghost here. We're dealing with a real human being, a real human being who can walk through locked doors without a key to unlock them. Jesus doesn't need a key to get inside a locked door because he is the key. Do you remember when Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus tells them that he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he looks at his disciples and he says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus promises a time when he will give to his disciples something that he calls the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he throws around these strange words, <laughs> binding and loosing things. And it, it would first be confusing to you unless you continue reading on in Matthew's gospel just two chapters later when he tells the parable of the unforgiven servant who has forgiven a massive load of debt but is unwilling to forgive or release a servant of his from the same debt. And the terms binding and loosing are used interchangeably with forgiveness and unforgiveness. And Jesus is here to prove a point. The binding and loosing language is nothing less than the forgiveness or withholding of forgiveness of sins. The exact same thing, interestingly enough, Jesus says to his disciples in this upper room. Now, while on earth, Jesus simply reaches out and touches people, freeing them from whatever was keeping them in bondage and declaring to them that their sins are forgiven. He was loosing them from the bondage that had captured them or kept them down, and he was setting them free. And now the first thing he does when he sees his disciples after his resurrection is to empower them to go out and to do the same thing. And this is what I want you to see is happening. Jesus meets the disciples in their own place of captivity with the keys of his own presence so that they can go into other places of hiding and set other captives free. 
Let me repeat that because it's actually the thrust of all I'm going to say this morning. He meets the disciples in their own place of captivity. The disciples have locked themselves in. They're afraid of everything that's going on outside this closed room. They've locked themselves in. They are their own captives. But Jesus simply comes in by his own presence, bringing the keys of his own presence with him so that the disciples can be freed to go into other places of hiding or other places of captivity and set other people free. This is the entire reason why Jesus then turns to them after saying, peace be with you, breathes onto the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So let's put two and two together. If Jesus is here to promise he will give the keys to the kingdom to his disciples, and he is now telling them to receive the Holy Spirit, then logic tells me that the keys of the kingdom is the Holy Spirit. He is inviting his disciples to receive what they necessarily need to, number one, break them out of the fearful place of captivity they find themselves in, and number two, empower them with the authority they need to be Jesus' representatives and agents in the world to proclaim forgiveness of sins to the world. These two things go together. They've always gone together. And Jesus is here now empowering his own disciples to do and to be the very things that Jesus was when he walked the earth. Because this is what Jesus always wants to do. Our world has fallen captive to the evil one who is bent on enslaving God's image bearers to do his will instead of God's. And he has captured every last one of them. So God sends his own son to loose the bonds of that captivity and to set us free. He does this by forgiving us of our sins, releasing us from his right to punish us for our wrongdoing. And when he says to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give, he means that in the same gracious way we've received forgiveness, we ought also to forgive others, to spread the news that forgiveness can be found only in Jesus Christ. He's come to open the door, to claim access to those places people do not want him to go so that he can set them free. And we heard a beautiful picture of this from Acts chapter 5. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought the disciples out. And said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Not bondage, not slavery, life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. We live in a world today that tries its hardest to keep Jesus out of its way. To bar the door and keep him outside. Or to lock him up and keep him contained. Neither one works. 
because Jesus is not bound by barriers that people set up to prevent him from going where he wants. He will go where he wants. He's unstoppable in that sense. And so on in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Philadelphia, he tells the church by way of encouragement, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. For some fun reading this week, pick up the book of Revelation and read it from beginning to end. And notice how many times open gates, open doors, open pathways are present through that book. Jesus has opened the door. The opening part of Revelation 4, when John is caught up into a vision of heaven and he sees the Lord himself on his throne, he said, Behold, after this I saw a door standing open in heaven. That's right. We've got pure access to God's throne there. And so Jesus will go where he chooses regardless of barriers set up by man. He doesn't need the doors to be unlocked. He will just come right in, bringing his peace with him, taking his peace into places where others want to prevent it from going. I read a couple of articles this week by Christians, and particularly the bishop in Sri Lanka following last weekend's blast. When an enemy force wants to silence and wants to hem in the presence of Jesus, in a particular location, what do the Christians in Sri Lanka do in response? I will send you an article this week that I came across written by one of those Sri Lankan Christians telling other Christians how we all should respond in the face of horrific events like suicide bombings that kill hundreds on Easter Sunday morning, not just in churches, but in other areas across their nation. His response? We love them. Now, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't fit. Except Jesus is the one who owns the keys and he will get into places where you and I don't think he has any way of getting in. Some of my favorite stories to read are the missionaries who go to restricted nations in, in the world that where if you, are f- caught, if you are found caught with a Bible, you will be arrested and possibly killed. But Christians know that there are nearly a billion Um, Well, what what are the numbers that the Voice of Martyrs throws out? Somewhere like 950,000 Christians across the world in restricted nations who don't have access to a Bible but desperately want one. And all the stories I hear of men and women who fill suitcases to the brim full of Bibles to try to smuggle them into places where they are not allowed. And then one of the random checkpoints pulls one of them aside to search their luggage to find out what it is that they have in their possession, only to have the guards himself open the suitcases to the wincing and the fearful fretting of those who are smuggling these suitcases in, stare at an open suitcase full of Bibles, see nothing but an empty suitcase, close the lid and send them on their way. You see, Jesus is not bound by things that bind you and me. And he's invited us in to be part of a process where his gospel will go out. It will move. It will open prison doors because guess what? For these prisoners, that wasn't the place that they were supposed to be. And so he lets them go. He didn't let John go. He didn't ultimately let Paul go because he had a particular place for them, but it wasn't because he was bound. 
by those places. It was because his mission for them there was in prison. And we're thankful for Paul's being locked away for so many years because we have Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians because of it. Jesus will go where he wants. That includes into your life and into mine. But never to hijack who you are as a person. He always enters through these barriers with these four words. Peace be with you. Father, would you take us into places this week and give us eyes to see the work that you are doing when you go there. We know that the disciples needed peace tremendously and sometimes we are anxious as well about the things in our lives that are happening and we need your peace in a powerful, tangible way. But let us never forget that your peace doesn't just come so that we can rest easy. It comes so that you can empower us to pick up the calling that you had when you were here and to carry it forward. So we love you. And I pray that you would show our church how best to serve you in that way this week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.